when we went live, people started buying. And so I panicked because we didn't put that it was a pre-order. So, you know, we had on, on our FAQs where we put, hey, this is a pre-order. July 31st was the date that we we're supposed to get it. But I don't think people saw that because, um, I mean, who goes to a website and the first thing they're doing is FOQs, right? Hi there, it's Sewa and welcome to episode 48 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who have created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. Have you ever wondered why items that are meant to be quote-unquote nude don't always match your skin tone? With the release of her line of Fenty foundations, Rihanna pushed the beauty industry to be more inclusive. What Rihanna did for foundations, today's guest Jennifer Berry is doing for women's shoes. She's launched a line of nude pumps with 13 shades that range from what she calls rosé, white truffle, and satin, all the way to cognac, cacao, and cacao truffle. Her brand has been featured on Forbes, BuzzFeed, and NBC, to name a few. Before we hear the rest of Jennifer's story, I would love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Jennifer's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script with Jennifer Berry, founder of Jennifer Berry Shoes. Jennifer Berry, thank you so much for coming on the show. Welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for having me. For those of our listeners who haven't heard of you or the Jennifer Berry line, could you share who you are and what your line is about? Yes, so I am Jennifer Berry. I am the CEO and creative director of Jennifer Berry Nude Footwear LLC. My nude pump line is the most diverse and inclusive luxury skin tone shoe line on the market. Our product was designed to streamline the process for women, especially professional, busy women like myself, um, get up and go and just make getting dressed in the morning very easy. I'm an attorney by trade. I practice criminal law in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And um, I've had this idea since 2011, before I, I even went to law school, and uh, this idea came about where my sister and I, we had the same pair of nude shoes. And we we're like, oh my gosh, we're matching. <laughs> this is so cool. And I was like, but it's not my skin tone. It's not her skin tone. And I was like, why did I call it nude? Because when you look up nude, it should be, you know, naked or what your color would be if you didn't have clothes on. So that kind of sparked the idea. And um, I got on, you know, got on the computer, started researching, and there was nothing. And I was like, wow, this is great, you know? Before we get too much into your story, I do want to take a step back and learn a bit more about your background. So you were born in Sierra Leone and then moved to the U.S. as a child. What was your childhood like? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's very interesting. I would say that I have been through a lot, you know, um... It's per it's extremely personal, but I don't mind sharing. So um, when I was 11, I lost my father. Um, he was being robbed. He was also like an entrepreneur. Um, so we're at his store, at his business, and he was being robbed. And so these two guys came out um, and they were like, give me your money. And they tussled and one of them pulled out a gun and shot him in the head right in front of me. Okay. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so um, I was in foster care for a little bit, and then um, I was adopted by an aunt um, down in Texas. That's what brought me down to Texas. And um, 
So my mother was still in Sierra Leone. I, um, I didn't reconnect with her until about six, almost 20 years um, after I left Sierra Leone. So I left Sierra Leone in two, two, uh, 1995. And then I came to, um, my mother came and to the States for the first time, I think back in 2008. Yeah, so I, I had that unique experience of just, persevering and mm-hmm. um, and another thing too is like I don't take anything for granted and I guess that's why I feel like I have to work hard so much and try to prove myself and you know <laughs> I am married um, I've been married for almost 10 years now with my husband and we have two boys my youngest is six months he turned six months yesterday and I have a two-year-old as well Ooh, you have your hands So clearly in the time between having the idea and launching it, life happened. School, marriage, raising a family. And you mentioned that there were a lot of times when you could have done it. What caused you to finally take the leap and launch it? Um, it Funny story. So um, I, I talked about it all the time, like for eight years. Insane, right? Right. I just kept talking about it. And every day, like I would get on the internet and research it, you know, and I was like, man, I, I want to do this. I want to do this. And, um, I remember like in the bathroom, I'm standing there with my husband and I'm like, man, I just, I I just gotta do it, you know? And I was like, I just, I don't know why this idea keeps gnawing at me and it won't let me go. And then he looks at me, he goes, well, just start it then. Just do it. And like he walks off, right? That sounds just like my husband to me, where he's heard you come at it from 10,000 different ways. And for everyone's sanity, he's like, just try it. See where it goes. He was like, like, just do it. And the the funny thing is how men have, I struggle with confidence issues. I, I, Mm. it's, you know, um, and he's taught me to walk with your head up, make eye contact, do, and I, I struggle, I struggle with imposter syndrome. I struggle with all of that. And a lot of people are so surprised but um, childhood trauma would do that to you, you know? Mm. Um, mm. I have, I have take, give, you know, done therapy and stuff like that. And I plan on going back when things kind of calm down. But I do, I struggle with that. And for him to just like, like just nonchalant, just do it, you know? And I was just like, bro, you didn't have to say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And like the very next day I was at Walmart getting this sketchbook. The very next day, I guess... I needed permission or I wanted permission or I don't know. I don't know what it is about us women that we just need to have the approval. Mm. You know? And I don't mind. I'm glad he did that because if he hadn't said that, I would still be here moaning and complaining about. Right. What, like, All of a sudden you were thinking, oh, I can do it. And then in no time you'd launched. Yeah. I'm so glad that we have people in our lives that can push us like that. I know you were doing a lot of market research. What about the market research ultimately made you think, yes, this is a viable idea? Right now we're in this phase as a society where we're moving towards this phase where um, people are more open. Mm. They're more open to receiving diverse ideas, especially in the beauty industry where like now non-traditional models are the standard of beauty. You know, we have Ashley Graham, um, we have Slick Woods, like my gap, but I have a huge gap and I've always struggled with that, you know? Um, But even when I got braces and retainers, I kept it open a little bit because I thought, you know, this is kind of like me, like 
a part of me, you know? Mm-hmm. So to see a model like her with this big gap unapologetically rocking it. And I was just like, okay, so the, the mold is out. Now real women are being represented. Now people that look like me can model and people that are plus size can model. And I think society is more accepting. And that's the one thing. I mean, um, it is a business, so you do need customers and consumers, but you also want to make sure that um, it's serving a purpose. So I think now it's like it's accepting to be um, a nation moving towards diversity. Then you moved into doing a Kickstarter campaign and the campaign closed with 210 backers who pledged a little bit over $23,000. So why did you decide to go the Kickstarter route as opposed to seeking out an angel investor or more traditional VC funding? That idea was kind of twofold. The first is I wanted a way to see who's interested. It's a way to see if it's feasible. Mm-hmm. So I go in and I, I have a $15,000 um, goal and I go in and I'm making, you know, I did the 23000 I'm like, okay, people are interested. There is mm-hmm. interest here. Um, and the second is because we've been self-funded this whole time. We haven't taken out any loans and we did not want um, a third party, my husband and I, a third party to come in and their primary focus will be, of course, making money and getting their investment. Whereas I'm more of, this is my passion. Of right. course, I make money, but above all, the creativity, the passion, and I want to enjoy what I'm doing. And so when we have someone else that comes in um, and they're making decisions based on just money, it might kind of ruin it. And I, it's still young. And not to say I won't seek investment in the future or the near future. I'm, I'm always open to that. But as in the infancy, I wanted to, you know, kind of still have 100% control and also see what the, the viability is. And okay. so it that way, I was able to, you know, um, achieve those goals. So how did you market your Kickstarter campaign? Because not every Kickstarter campaign is fully funded or even overfunded. Um, I think about, like they said, less than 30% gets funded which wow. it's crazy. <laughs> and uh, my husband was like, are, are you, are you sure? <laughs> I could see, I mean, he has faith, but he was like, you know, what, what, what would we do if this doesn't work out? And I was like, it's going to work out, <laughs> you know? Um, you know, and um, so what I did was I just, you know, um, I was just feeling the temperature of people. So I would ask, of course, it always starts with family and friends and people you're comfortable with talking about it. Um, so I started building an email list of, you know, I started off with a hundred people and now I have an email list of over 5,000 people. Right. Wow. So, yeah. You just build and you can't be afraid to talk to someone. It's like, um, asking someone for money. It's just the most uncomfortable thing ever. But I think when people understood what my objective is, when I introduced myself and I was vulnerable and I told them why I wanted to do it mm-hmm. and how planned on achieving it. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. How long have you been fully operational at this point? Um, so we filed our LLC um, August 18th of 2018, but we launched the Kickstarter in February. So from August to February, so for six months, we're basically working on the Kickstarter. I would say it took about a year of like, 
getting email addresses and telling people what's coming and laying the groundwork, a Kickstarter campaign is hard. Like, I don't know how I did it. I'm not going to lie to you, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot of groundwork and groundswell to get everything to a point where when you launch, there are people coming. Mm. Yeah. Most of our social media didn't go up until November or early December. So I, I would say February 19th is when we really started pushing the product out there. Once you had closed your campaign, what did the amount you raised cover as far as launching the business? Um, it covered a significant amount, I would say. Um, it covered our first production run. Um, it covered... I guess shipping the production run over here. Um, it covered a lot, but there are other parts of business that we had to cover as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that the campaign helped significantly because we didn't have to reach in our pocket and do the 20,000 for the first production run. So what about branding? Branding. Um, so I, I did most of the branding. So I did um, two shoe boxes. Um, you can see this is the yes. chocolate one. Beautiful uh, custom boxes. Yes. So they're um, golden boss and then that's the cream. And so um, we did that on our own as well. Branding was um, two phases of prototyping. So altogether, I think we went through seven phases of prototyping where we started and we kept changing it until I thought it was perfect. And then the branding itself was just two phases that we did. Okay. So this is branding for the packaging. Not to mention now the design for the shoe. So how did you even find a manufacturer? That was actually the longest process. That was oh. the longest process. And I had um, some help in pointing me to that direction. And um, I try to work with a lot of factories and they would not have me because um, industry speak, the MOQ, um, you have to have a certain amount like order a certain amount. Well, I couldn't afford to do that because I was Mm -hmm. just starting off. So um, I had to go through um, smaller factories um, that I got connected to, to actually do it for us. And even with that, we still had um, some MOQ minimum order quantity. Yeah. But it was better than other manufacturers that were like, I think a thousand pair of shoes. So that was the hardest. That was actually the hardest part is finding someone that would work with us. Um, I say a, a no name, but like mm-hmm. I'm known, like nobody knows who Jennifer is, you know, a lot of them will ask me like, so what, what do you do? Do you, are you a fashion designer? And I was like, well, no, I'm a lawyer. And they were like, <laughs> they don't understand what you're even doing here. And at the end of the day, how much did you order for your initial run? For my initial run, about 200. 200 pairs of shoes. What was the process like actually designing and translating to them what you wanted to be created? So we um, sketched it and then um, we went through and like worked on the, the size the size of the heel. So mm-hmm. for instance, I wanted it to be, well, this one is the 105. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have the um, 95. And so we we worked on, you know, getting the design just right. Um, we worked on getting the um, insole to be more comfortable. Like we, like I said, we did seven rounds and each round was just different things. So they will work on it and then I'll come home, I'll try it. And then I'll be like, okay, well, let's go ahead and put more padding or, okay, let's make the heel a little thinner or slimmer or, okay, let's go ahead and um, um, 
prototype the 105. So they mm-hmm. had to go in and create the 105, the cast, and and do it that way. It's um, it was involved. Um, I think they were really patient with me because I really wanted. Um, it was a certain look I was looking for, mm-hmm. so we had to go and just keep doing it, keep doing it. And at the end of the day, we had thirteen um, prototypes for the thirteen shades. Um, but we initially had four prototypes. We started off with four and then, um, we kept building on to where, Mm. um, we actually made 14 prototypes shoes to where the last one was the one, one of five hill length. And then, um, if you can see the, um, logo at the bottom, Mm -hmm. um, that was also two rounds of prototyping as well. So everything was custom. It's not like they had some shoes in their factory that you could white label and just stamp your logo on. Um, they had some of that too, but then we went ahead and um, worked it out, like made customized it, it right the way I wanted it. Um, and so when I'm doing newer, because the first round we had to be very um, practical, not to go crazy, because again we're self funding, um, and so the closer we get to making more, um, more shoes and more styles, I think I'll be in, in a better position to do the most. Right. So, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm excited about that. <laughs> okay. Oftentimes I find that there's a lot of hype and lip service around a product launch. Mm-hmm. So once your website went live, did people actually put their money where their mouth was by purchasing yeah. So, um, the funny thing is when we, when we went live, um, people started like buying. And so I panicked because, um, we didn't put that it was a pre-order. So, you know, we had on, um, on our FAQs where we put, Hey, this is a pre-order, you know, July 31st was the, um, the date that we we're supposed to get it. But then we kind of ran over to August mm-hmm. and put it there. But I don't think people saw that. Um, cause I mean, who goes to a website and the first thing they're doing is FOQs, right? Um, and so they were ordering. And so I was like, Oh crap, we had to go back and, um, add on each of them. Like, Hey, this is a pre-order. Um, and you know, when we get our first production run, then you will get it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, um, we went ahead and did it that way. And people were surprising. They were like, okay. I think with customers, as long as you tell them what to expect and, um, and if you're transparent with them, mm-hmm. I think they're, they're understanding. Cause even now we have some styles that are out of stock or on back order and people order them and we're like, Hey, we know you ordered this. Um, just so you know, it will be available in our next production round, which is the end of September. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, I think as long as you let them know and you're transparent, people are receptive to it. Okay. So given that you're an attorney by day, could you give us some insight into what it's like actually running the business from an operational perspective? Um, it's, um, it's a lot of, de- uh, delegating tasks. Um, I delegate some to my sister, some to my husband and some I can handle. Um, Basically, I go to work um, on my day job and then get my kids. And then once they're in bed, that's when I'm, you know, between 9 and 11 is my most productive time where mm-hmm. I lie down and I can just work, you know, hammer away. So that's how it's been. Um, sacrifice sleeping, but, you know, whatever. 
<laughs> so at what point do you think you might get some outside help to, you know, delegate maybe some more administrative tasks that are coming up while you're at the office? Um, that's a good question. I think maybe by next year, I might be at that position. And it's also to my unwillingness to just delegate to people because I'm so um, you know, when it's like your thing and it's new and mm-hmm. you feel like you're the only one that can do it right. Or, yeah, that's my, that's my problem. That's my issue. It's not fully trusting other people. I guess that's the word. Yeah. yeah I think there's certain tasks when it comes to running a business that are successful because it's the essence of you, the owner, mm-hmm. um, and others that are not as critical to the business that are easier to let go as time goes by. I think as you grow, you'll probably figure out what that comfortable balance is for you. So at this point, you come home and then you ship orders as soon as you go to work in the morning or how does that work? So um, sometimes I leave doing my lunch break and do it. (laughs) That's the hustle. That's the hustle. Yeah, you know, it's real. Um, or I'll have someone else do it. But sometimes I will go do my lunch break and I'll, I'll do it myself, you know. Ain't okay. No <laughs> In the time since the launch of your brand, I believe luxury brand Louboutin actually expanded their new shoe color range. And then another similarly themed startup also launched. So as a startup company yourself, how do you set your brand apart from your current competitors and other copycats that are bound to come up? Basically, I, I don't compete and I don't worry about them because I feel like as a startup, we're offering my customers so much that I don't think anyone else could offer them. And I take pride in my brand in that way. I make it as reasonable price as possible. I offer free shipping, return, free exchanges. I also have a payment plan that they can do as well and offer top-notch customer service because it's all in customer service. We know there are so many other places consumers can spend their hard-earned money on, right? So if you're going to come to my store and buy it for $295, you're going to get your pennies worth. You're going to get every amount of that money worth it. And also making a great product that is comfortable, that people can wear every day and not get tired of it. That's how I set myself apart. As far as kind of going out of your way to make your customers happy, I noticed that you offer a swatch book that customers can purchase and then match their shade before purchasing. Yeah. I have to imagine that can be logistically taxing on your small team. Do you think it's worth it to offer that option? It is. It is because it kind of takes the anxiety out of people ordering. If I had like a t-shirt line or clothing brand that's like 15 bucks, yeah, sure. Order if you think you're small or large, order it because it's 15 bucks, right? But um, myself, I think about myself as a consumer. Um, If I can get a swatch book, and I know my shade, that's one less hassle for consumers to have to return it. When someone knows their shade and they're like, oh, I know for sure this is my shade. I know this is my size. We'll also offer our sizing chart online. That's one less anxiety or hang up because computer screens vary. At work, I have two computer screens side by side, but the colors are so different. And it's Mm. two computer screens side by side but the colors vary. It's all about, again, planning and execution. Mm -hmm. So that way, once they 
get it, they know what their shade is. Those little touches do help to set you apart. I think they say to do things that are not scalable when you're small because they will carry you forward when you are a larger company. Yeah. So looking back now on the process of launching Geneva Berry, what do you think your biggest challenge has been so far? I think the, the biggest challenge was funding, mm-hmm. but we managed to maneuver through that landfill. And also not knowing when to say no, because I felt like there was a time when I was being pulled 50 million ways. And I, I don't like saying no to people, I mean, of well-meaning people. And sometimes I, I did stuff that were not in the brand's best interest. So I think um, learning when to say no and learning how to funnel through everything and not be reactive to everything. It makes a difference, especially yeah. time-wise and stuff. So I would say you're doing for the shoe industry what Fenty did for the beauty industry when they released 40 different shades of foundation. You started with pumps in 13 different shades, two different heel heights. What's next for you? Ooh, <laughs> when, we, when we launched, it was insane. A lot of older women, they were right and say, hey, you know, us older women, we have the coins to afford the lower hill length. But you guys, you know, once you, once you do that, we'll be back, you know? So <laughs> then, yeah, so we're currently working on prototyping the 50 mm's. Mm-hmm. And for our older consumers and they're like you know we have bad knees and back aches and you know we like your shoes but we can't we can't be wearing 95 and 105 you gotta you know. what about flats flats would be nice yes so we're also you hear it first here we're also working on our loafers Yes. So we're excited about that. So those are the two styles, um, hopefully, that we can debut before the Christmas season. Obviously, we have to launch things slowly because we just don't have bankroll like that. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very um, strategic in how we launch things because we want to make sure that um, we're doing it, but not to overwhelm the process to make sure it's pretty good, pretty stable. Okay. So about six months now, as far as manufacturing and actually fulfilling customer orders, yes. would yes. you say you're profitable at this point? It's always a moving goalpost because you, you're profitable and then something comes up, you know? Um, so at this point, it's to streamlining the process, basically. So we know, okay, like even with the ordering, I have a lot of people that are on wait lists because you don't have the products in stock. Mm -hmm. So I think once we build up the inventory and we can just ship things out as people order them, it will be much better. But we have like money held up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of unfulfilled orders because they're ordering it, but we don't have it. Mm -hmm. So that money is not available to us. Once once it's fulfilled, then it's our money. (laughs) Cash flow is always an issue with new companies because you're depending on sales in order to then get additional inventory. Oftentimes people find other ways to inject that capital, whether it's a, a line of credit or an outside investor. But as you said, this is still a time when you're trying to lay a foundation and figure out what the flow is going to be before you really hit that stride. Yeah, so we're excited about that. I think it's hopefully by the end of this year, we'll be hitting that and injecting, of course, our personal finances into it. I'll be excited once we have everything in inventory. So what advice would you have for anyone looking to launch a product-based company like what you've launched? 
if cash flow is an issue or if you don't have the funding or investors, try Kickstarter. Why not? Keep your goal low. Make sure you have a goal that's attainable and then just market it, market it and try to build up an email list. You know, try to talk to people that that believe in you because it's easier to convince your friends and your families to invest in your dream than it is for strangers. So Mm -hmm. if you have, let's say you want to start selling t-shirts that are $25 a pop, well, you know, get about 50, 60 people that are behind you. Hey, there you go, you know? And then you put it out there and make it visible for everybody to see. Well, that's really good advice. Thank you for that. On that note, for anyone who wants to follow your journey and get themselves a skin-toned shoe for themselves, where can they find you and follow you? So on um, Instagram, I am at Jenneba underscore Barry. So it's J-E-N-E-B-A underscore B-A-R-R-I-E. On Facebook, I am at um, Jenneba Barry Footwear. And um, online is www.jennababerry.com. Perfect. We'll be sure to link that all in the show notes as well. Jennifer, thank you so much for stopping by and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.